Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. How many of you have ever been told you're so ungrateful? A couple of you brave people maybe watching on the other side of this are reluctantly raising your hands. Now, now let's look at it from the other side of the aisle. How many of you have ever told someone else you're so ungrateful? Right, that's what I thought. Every single parent's at least hand just went up. Uh, in fact, it was actually just this last Sunday. It was after church. My daughter Logan was with me. And uh, she had kind of, as she always does on Sundays, talked me into getting her McDonald's on the way home. Uh, only she didn't mention that on the way to church that morning, uh, she had already gotten McDonald's for, for breakfast. And so I actually had a text from my wife that I hadn't seen yet. And she's like, hey, just want to let you know, I, I got Logan McDonald's this morning, so don't get it again for her this afternoon. And so I, of course, turned to the back seat. I was like, Logan, you didn't tell me that part of the story. She's like, Dad, I really want it. And she's pleading. And I'm like, all right, tell you what, uh, your brother's sick right now, so we'll go to the gas station. We'll get him like a Sprite, and, and you can pick got a drink. Does that sound like a good compromise? And she was like, okay, I'm, I'm on board with that. And so we walk into the gas station and she's, you know, like every six-year-old kid looking at every shelf, every single drink, trying to you know, painstakingly decide which one she wants. And then it just kind of dawns on her. She's like, dad, do they have high C here? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. And I look and I can't find it. And then I look on the bottom row and there are those, you know, 99 cent cans of Arizona beckoning for me because they're cheap and it's quite a bit of fluid. And so I look down and there's a strawberry kiwi flavor that I know is going to taste exactly like high C. And so I pluck that sucker out of there and I say, Logan, there's not high C, but there is this Arizona strawberry kiwi, very delicious juice beverage. I, I think you're really going to like this one. And she just wasn't having it. She's like, no, dad, I want high C. I'm like, well, Logan, I just looked on all these shelves. They don't have high C. So, so this is what it's going to be. And she's like, no, 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 dad, I want high C. See her, I want this. And then she starts frantically trying to grab for other things. She's like pointing to energy drinks and stuff that there's no way I'm actually going to buy her. I'm like, Logan, this is what you are getting. You are getting this can of strawberry kiwi Arizona deliciousness, whether you like it or not, take it or leave it. And so there she stood in front of the cooler, pouting, tears starting to come from her. Dad, I don't want that. It's going to be gross. She even pulled out the, the can's going to cut my lip. I'm like, has that ever happened to you? No, you're going to be fine. Do you want this or not? I'm, I'm, I'm at the checkout now. I'm like, do you want this or not? She's like, fine. And, and there she sat crying, and I'm getting increasingly more and more frustrated. Now, now once we got in the car, I started explaining to her why, why that was so irritating for me. I attempted to put language to the frustration that I was feeling in that gas station. I was explaining to her, hey, daddy went out of his way to do something nice for you. And, and Logan, you, you kind of shoved it in my face. Not only, and I didn't say this part to her, but I'm thinking this, not only did you not express thankfulness, not only did you not express gratitude, you actually took it a step further. You manipulated, you redirected my kindness and chose to be offended by it. You took what I meant for good and you're like using it for, for evil. I mean, it's like, how in the heck did we even get here? Now, now chances are, if you're, you're anything like me, you, as you've gotten older, as you've become more mature, hopefully you've gotten better control of your emotions, you have had these words uttered to you less and less and less. I'm somewhat optimistic, though. People who are a little bit further along in life with teenage daughters might tell me otherwise. I'm somewhat optimistic that Logan's not going to be having the same mental breakdown in gas stations when she's 14 years old. 
I remember, for instance, when I was around the age of eight years old, and I've actually shared this story before, uh, my mom got it in her mind that, that it was going to be a good idea to get me and my siblings, my three siblings, uh, books for Christmas one year. It was like the first present that we opened, and all of us opened up these books at the same time, and every single one of us, the response was exactly the same. We all started just bawling our eyes out. We're like, what? You got us books? Like We were just like mortified that my mom thought that that was going to be a good idea. Now, you get me a book today. Even if I'm not interested in the topic whatsoever, even if it's a book I'm never going to actually read, I'm not going to cry and throw a fit. I'll at least be thankful for your act of generosity. But if I'm just being honest, it's not as if that spirit of ungratefulness has completely disappeared, right? In fact, in that vein, thinking now it's like the holiday season, right? I can promise you somebody will get me a gift this year for Christmas, where after opening it, I I won't say it out loud, but something inside of me will be whispering, why in the heck did you get me this? I mean, like, why did you waste your money on this? Why why would you think that I would like this? So seriously, what what is wrong with you? That that, that if there was a microphone proclaiming those internal thoughts going on in my heads, every single person watching right now would be declaring, Shay, you are so ungrateful. And if I'm just being totally vulnerable, that there are regular moments in, in my life as a dad, as a, as a friend, as a brother, as a sibling, that there are many moments in the life of this church where, where people give very, very selflessly of their time and their money and their resources and their talents. And you would think that everything inside of me would be declaring, oh, I am just so thankful for him. Oh my goodness, I am so thankful for her. And, and I'm not saying that that feeling is like completely absent, but oftentimes, not far behind it is this voice of cynicism that likes to whisper, but they could have done more. I mean, they were sort of generous with like whatever, with fill in the blank, but, but, but let's not act like they, they really gave up all that much to make this happen. There was still more that they could have offered and, and they sort of held out. Now, now, I know, and this honestly isn't lost on me. I, I thought long and hard about it, this as I prepared this message. I, I know admitting this stuff out loud makes me sound like, like an absolute monster. But, but, but I've also had enough honest conversation with other friends and family to know that th- this isn't just like a me thing. So, so what is that? What's at, the, what's at the core of that? What is it about us that, that allows cynicism, that allows negativity, a feeling like everyone, like the world owes us something to run so supreme, to, to come so natural. And, and conversely, why does genuine gratitude, why, why does thankfulness often prove so difficult to muster up? As it would turn out, God, our, our creator, he, he actually offers us some insight. And I'm just going to kind of warn you, he's a bit more blunt than probably you or I would, would likely prefer. He, he tells us in Jeremiah, the heart, meaning your heart, my heart, it is deceitful above all things. And it's desperately sick. It's like, oh my goodness, who can understand it? God's kind of going out of his way to tell us that our hearts are so much more depraved, so much more selfish than we even realize. It's truly beyond our ability to quantify or, or measure. He says, who can understand it? God's saying, this goes so much deeper than the human mind has the ability to comprehend. You likely, by virtue of the fact that you're, you're sitting and watching here today, you recognize that there's, there's something wrong with you. 
that, that something's maybe a little bit off. And God's telling us, hey, it's worse than you even think. But, and I promise this message is about to make a turn for the better, God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us in our, in our broken, our sinful, our, our selfish state. He doesn't leave us to repeatedly return to the mirror declaring to ourselves, you're so ungrateful. God, in fact, he offers us some, some transformative habits. We actually explored one of those last week when we took a look at financial stewardship, financial generosity. Willingly handing over your finances to God is, is first, yes, a step of obedience, but eventually, and honestly, you'll get there quicker than you think, it becomes a natural outpouring a gift that you pour out at the feet of your Savior. So overcome by what Jesus has done for you, so overcome by his faithfulness, you willingly respond in gratitude to him. That the way we see our hearts of stone, our hearts that are laced with selfishness, or as God framed it, our deceitful hearts, the way we see those hearts transformed into hearts that are more like that of his own, more like our heavenly fathers, is by living a life. And when I say life, I'm talking about everything about you. We don't get the luxury of picking and choosing because the truth is, is if you give deceit, you give selfishness, you give cynicism, you give negativity an inch, it'll end up taking it all. The way we step into real life is by living a life that is marked by gratitude, a life that is marked by thanks. And herein lies our cheesy, couldn't resist like tie into Thanksgiving. Because of those deceitful hearts, gratitude doesn't come natural to a single person watching right now. It's rather something that has to be cultivated. This is why, by the way, every parent in this room, every parent watching right now, has to spend zero effort teaching their kids words like, mine, it's always in that high-pitched tone. That word, right, it came very naturally. I mean, it was like almost hardwired in. But whereas you, you've likely spent like way too much time attempting to teach your kids words and phrases like, thank you. Mine, which is our selfishness making an appearance in speech, it comes very, very natural. Thank you, which is gratitude being verbalized. Well, not so much. Now, when I prepare these messages for Sunday mornings here, I, I try to very much think through the lens of the skeptic as well as that kind of individual who's just kind of beginning to lean into this whole conversation around Jesus. And I don't think what I'm about to say right now is going to need a lot of convincing, but I'm just going to kind of throw it out there just in case maybe anyone is on the fence. This is one of those areas, what we're talking about here today, that even if you do not commit to following Jesus at any point in your life, you would still be very, very wise to accept Jesus's teaching in this particular area. See, I doubt any person watching right now would try to make a reasonable case that the, the negative, the cynical, the selfish way of life is the best way to live. But a lot of people, in fact, most people, do virtually nothing to push back in this particular area. That is, there's no intentionality into cultivating a heart that is marked by gratitude as opposed to a heart that is marked by selfishness. And if you leave yourself to yourself, selfishness, as your own life has modeled to you, will win the day. And again, I, I don't think any of you want that. Cultivating a grateful heart, it'll make you a better spouse. It'll make you a better parent, a better boss, a better employee, a better neighbor. People will, in fact, be drawn to you. You'll have a more positive outlook on life. You'll, you'll sleep better. You'll, you'll worry less. It's one of those areas that has exclusively positive benefits for your life. 
So let us all, both the Christian and the non-Christian alike, the skeptic as well as the convinced, the, the first time in a church or the thousandth time in a church, well, let us be intentional because again, you leave it to chance, cynicism and negativity will win the day. Let us be intentional in cultivating a heart of gratitude, which also as an added bonus happens to be a heart more like that of your heavenly fathers. So to, to illustrate this here this morning, uh, I'm gonna share a story that we find here in the book of, of Acts. Acts is the book that we find immediately after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right there at the beginning of the New Testament, those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Uh, in the book of Acts, more than anything, it documents for us the, the rise of the early Christian church. Jesus is gone now, he's gone back up into heaven, and he's like, hey, I meant what I said. It, it is now in the hands of all of you to spread my name to the ends of the earth. And in fact, when you read Acts, there's a lot of people in those pages whose hearts had been completely transformed. And I want to remind you, God wants to do the exact same thing in yours. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pull out a handful of points and observations as we move along this account. And then I'm going to tie a bow on it with a single takeaway. And finally, we're going to land the plane on a psalm and, and we'll get you out of here so you can eat those gross Thanksgiving leftovers. That's right, I said it. Thanksgiving is a gross meal. And here's how, in fact, I know that to be true. I have never been to a restaurant, not even a single time, where oven-baked turkey is on the menu. Never have I looked down to the options of sides and seen stuffing or cranberry sauce. There's a reason we only eat it once a year because we only want to subject ourselves to it once a year. It's gross food. We need to change this tradition. Again, if I just made a bunch of you mad, I'm sorry. I'd just like to speak truth here from, from this stage. All right, sound like a pram? All right, let's go. A uh, little background here before we dive into this. Paul and his buddy Silas, two of these early missionaries on the front line, spreading the name of Jesus all over that ancient Mediterranean world. They have been thrown into prison uh, because of a bunch of false accusations being thrown at them by, you guessed it, the religious folks. They are so intimidated by this new movement known as Christianity that they are doing anything to stop it hard and fast. And, and that right there is where we pick up this account in Acts chapter 16, verse 22. It says a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. And so the jailer put them in the innermost dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So one moment that they're freely walking the streets telling anyone who would listen about Jesus, his death and resurrection, very, very fresh on their minds, mind you. And now they find themselves in the innermost cell of a Roman prison, what we would kind of refer to now as, as maximum security. Now, I, I don't want to speak for you, and so I'll just choose to speak for myself. If I found myself in these circumstances, I, I'm sort of thinking that I would be maybe just ever so slightly bitter. It's like, right, God, I, I was literally doing what you asked me to do. And, and this is how you repay me? Right, right. It's not like my foolish decisions put me in prison. I'm literally trying to make your name great in the city of Philippi. Paul and Silas, they're barely into their first stop on their Macedonian evangelistic campaign. A task that, mind you, God verbally asked them to embark upon. And here they find themselves locked in, in stocks. Again, just for me, negativity, anger, resentment, bitterness would definitely be ruling the day. But let us look at the path that Paul and Silas choose. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They, they don't whine. They, they don't moan. They don't complain. They, they don't give up. I mean, they, 
They don't even blame God. They instead use this time in a prison to pray and sing praises. But by virtue of the fact that you are listening to this right now, you are not in prison, which means that your circumstances could not be worse than what Paul and Silas were experiencing on this particular day. Gratitude is a choice. Praying and singing praises to God in this moment were a conscious decision that Paul and Silas made. And mind you, that they could have just as easily chosen the path of the flesh. They could have chosen that which comes natural. That which comes natural to every single person watching right now. This actually kind of harkens back to something that we talk about quite often around here before we sing on on Sunday morning, something that we do every single Sunday. It's not lost on us that a lot of you who join us on these Sunday mornings, you don't really want to sing. You're not looking forward to that 20 minutes of the service. We know that some of you, you downright resent worship. I'm sorry, your your body language, it, it kind of outs you. I assure you, Paul and Silas on this particular day, they did not feel like praying. They did not feel like singing God's praises. You want to know actually how I know that to be true? Because if you take those original words and you look at the Greek version and you kind of extrapolate those, actually it has nothing to do with any of that. It's because they're human. And you would not feel like singing and praising in a moment like this, right? But they, they did it anyway. Why? Because these were two individuals who had made a conscious decision to praise God, to express gratitude, regardless of the circumstances that lay before them. Because ultimately, that their hope wasn't attached to, to circumstances, but, but rather to the living God who, who gave his life for them. The, the same God who gave his life for, for you. See, the death, and more importantly, the resurrection of Jesus was fresh on their minds, and, and more poignantly, on, on their eyes. So so do what you made to me during my time on this earth. I'm not going to allow it to rob me of my hope. Because, and I'll say it again, my, my hope isn't attached to circumstances. My hope is attached to my risen Savior. Circumstances change. Jesus does not. Hope has already defeated death. Hope has already declared victory. So even when the world seems to be crumbling down around me, for instance, even when I'm thrown into a Roman prison and there's no plan on how I'm going to get out, I'm going to choose gratitude. I'm going to choose the truth that is found in song lyric. I'm going to choose truth that is found in the scriptures. I'm going to choose the truth that that, that is found in in taking the time to talk and speak with my heavenly Father. And and, and in turn, remind myself of the great lengths that God went to in order to win me back. The the great lengths that he went to to defeat death, to defeat sin, and and declare victory 
over my life. Yes, this sucks. I wish I wasn't in jail, but my savior is still on his throne. That the God of the universe loves me so much that he gave his life for me. That the legs feel nothing in the stocks when the heart is in heaven. And we choose to place our hearts in heaven by choosing gratitude. While we'll simultaneously reject the negativity, the cynicism, the, the woe is me that comes so natural to every single one of us. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were, were listening. Now, now, the Greek word that, that we draw our English word listening uh, here is, is this word epikrun too. And our English word, it doesn't really capture what, what the author, what, what Luke's original intent was. Remember, we try to remind you of this all the time, that the Greek language is so much more rich, so much more robust than the English language. So, so often we don't really have the, the right vocabulary, the right words to capture what that original meaning was. But, but the implication here is that the other prisoners, they, they, they were listening intently. Like they, they were hanging on every word that Paul and Silas were praying and singing which probably really shouldn't surprise us given the circumstances, right? I mean, after all, wouldn't this sort of behavior kind of demand your attention? Cause basically anyone to take a closer look? But precisely because it stood in such stark contrast to, to normal prison behavior? That the world is watching and more importantly, the, the world pays less attention to our behavior. When I say our, I'm talking about the follower of Jesus. The, the world pays less attention to our behavior when all is going well. People tend to pay a lot closer attention to the follower of Jesus in, in a crisis. When we are suffering. And, and before we're cynical and say, well, what a bunch of gluttons for misery. We do the exact same thing. The car crash grabs our attention way more than the traffic circle operating as it was designed. The world is watching, deciding whether there is validity to the claims of this Jesus guy, not by what we say, but rather what we do. And more specifically, how we react. Church, little does more to testify to the saving grace of Jesus than when a follower of Jesus had all the odds stacked against them and yet responds in prayer and, and worship where this just calmness emanates from them. You, you choose gratitude. That there's intrigue, interest, openness to future conversations when we respond so unnaturally to crisis. How the follower of Jesus responds in crisis will impact how others respond to their Savior. Church, they, they are unmistakably intertwined. It's literally the reason that some of you are watching today. You saw someone act so unnaturally so supernaturally, when their world was crumbling down around them and you had to know where that was coming from. Do not underestimate the role you are playing in the lives of those around you because those around you are watching. 
that they are using your life, my life, to either authenticate or reject our claims regarding our Savior. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped because that's what prisoners do. So he drew his sword to kill himself, fearing for his own life, because if he let all these prisoners escape under his watch, it was going to be his life to pay. And so he just kind of figured, I'll get it over with. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Again, if I'm Paul or Silas, I'm taking one look at my buddy and going, we out. I mean, God literally broke the cell open for us. It is time to roll. He has come to our rescue. He has answered our prayers. But, but come on, that is selfish thinking. That is what's in it for me thinking. That's assuming that God is this sort of genie, that he's a, he's a wish granter, rather than our heavenly father who is on a never-ending pursuit after his kids. So Paul and Silas, they don't seize the moment. They instead decide to, to stay. After all, look at their captive audience, pun intended. They know what, what I just reminded us all of, that the world, their world, a prison full of prisoners, people who had all been given up on freedom, he knows that they are watching. This is a detail that, that so often gets overlooked in this account. We can maybe get our heads around why, why, why Paul and Silas didn't bail. But, but what about all those other criminals who were locked up with them? I mean, seriously, not one of them decided to say, okay, I'm out of here. The, the doors are open. I'm going. Now, now, to be fair, we don't know why exactly every single one of them decided to stay. We're only left to speculate, right? But perhaps it was fear. These two dudes are singing and praising God. I mean, it kind of stands out in and of itself. Then a crazy earthquake just, just so happens to free them all. I mean, maybe they thought, well, this just can't be a coincidence. If there's a God out there that's powerful enough to do this, what, what else might he be capable of? So, so maybe in a way, God kept them there that the prisoners who had listened so intently to what Paul and Silas chose. And, and perhaps that they were now convinced that God had something to do with, with all of this. That the freshly liberated prisoners were, were now held captive by something stronger than chains. They wanted to know more about this God who could shake the world. The world is, is watching. They're taking their cues regarding Jesus from, from us. And we make this point all the time around here. You have no idea what God might be planning in the life of that person this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, next month, next Christmas. It might feel like a rather trivial, a rather insignificant step of obedience. But, but what if God is looking to validate that step of obedience just around the corner? 
Admittedly, two guys singing and praying in the stocks. I mean, sure, that stands out, but, but, but it probably doesn't change the trajectory of a life. It probably doesn't transform someone's eternity. But, but two guys choosing gratitude plus an, an earthquake, well, that'll do. The, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. The jailer is now falling before the prisoner. Then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you can read the rest of this account for yourself, but as a result of Paul and Silas choosing gratitude, not only this man, but his entire household, I mean, a prison full of prisoners, that they would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And this is so important. If Paul and Silas allow selfishness to continue to reign, if they allow cynicism to reign, if they don't choose to live a life that is wholly marked by gratitude, do you think that they would have had eyes? Do you think they would have had compassion for their jailer? If gratitude had not been cultivated, isn't it a heck of a lot more likely that they would have maybe, I don't know, held a bit of resentment towards the man responsible for locking them up? but absolutely no grudge exists in their nature. They would lead the very man to Jesus who had fastened them in their stocks. Church, this is what gratitude does to our hearts. It frees us. It liberates us. It opens up our worlds. It gives us eyes. It gives us hearts. It gives us compassion for those who have yet to experience the transformation, the transformative power through Christ. It's not just a gift for you, but all the yous around you whom God has in fact strategically placed in your life. I wanna tie a bow on the day as promised by giving us this entire message in, in three words. Gratitude is, is cultivated by daily intentional steps of obedience. Not, not only with our actions, but perhaps more importantly, with our thoughts, with, with our minds. Just as expressing gratitude is a choice, so is clinging to negativity. So is clinging to pessimism. And, and I recognize that, that a lot of you watching right now, like me, you've developed some long-traveled pathways in that regard. But I want to invite you, Jesus wants to invite you to begin to choose gratitude today. Do not give that heart of stone, that heart of selfishness, that heart of cynicism an inch. Re reject all that isn't uplifting. As Paul reminds us, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That the world is watching and your heart is being molded either more into stone or more like that of your heavenly fathers. And so we are encouraged to choose gratitude. Church, again, we talk about this all the time. This is the importance of that daily encounter, that daily time spent with Jesus. Not weekly encounter, not monthly encounter, not holiday encounter, but daily encounter. As we talked about in that last series when we were touching on prayer, it's not about informing God of our wants and our wishes and our needs, but actually allowing God to change our hearts to become more like his we read scripture, we pick up this book to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past. 
and what he's gonna continue to do in the future, most beautifully illustrated through him freely giving his son for, for you. That, that daily encounter, that daily time spent with him isn't our last line of defense as we so often treat it. It's rather our first line of offense. You invest in that relationship now so that when the crisis comes, because it's gonna come, you know who you belong to and whose hands you rest in. So we reject cynicism, negativity, selfishness in every form. And we choose to embrace gratitude. In Psalms, God himself reminds us that the one who offers thanksgiving as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Church, there are more practical benefits to choosing gratitude than, than we have time to count this morning. But for the follower of Jesus, this, this should be enough. It often isn't, but, but it ought to be. God himself, your, your creator, he, he tells us very directly, this is how we bring glory to him. This is how we honor his saving, redeeming name. By, by living lives that are marked by thanksgiving, by, by choosing gratitude. This, he tells us, is, is the path to life, where, where true life is found, the life that, that every single one of us are searching for. When we choose, like Paul and Silas, to to sing his praises, even in, even in the worst of circumstances, it's not a guarantee that he's gonna send the earthquake and bust you out of your situation. But it is a promise that you will be reminded through gratitude of whose you are, who you belong to, whose hands you rest in. It, it calls us back to that hope that doesn't rest in our circumstances, but rather the hope who already overcame my circumstances. The hope who got off of his throne and gave his life for, for you.